Good morning. My earliest memories in life are growing up in an old house built in the 1930s, about two miles from the heart of downtown Orlando. And this old house had everything that a young kid could ever want. It had a big backyard, it had an above ground pool. It was one block away from the elementary school in one direction and one block away from the lake in the other direction. But the coolest part about the old house was the old couple that lived on the other side of the block. Uh, there was Ed and Elaine. Now, there was no need for formalities. It wasn't Mr. Ed or Miss Elaine. We were on a first name basis, me as a five-year-old kid, with Ed and Elaine. I don't have any pictures uh, about, uh, of Ed or Elaine, but I found something that looks shockingly similar to Ed. So let's, let's take a look at that here. That, that would be Ed right there. Guys, it's 2017. We put a man on the moon, connected the entire world using the internet. Still using tennis balls on canes and walkers. That's the best we've got for technology here. But that's what Ed looked like. Always a smiling guy. Always an encourager. Always a, an uplifter. Uh, he and his, uh, his wife, Elaine. And I would tear across the block and go in their front yard. And I would talk with them. Or rather, I would talk at them. Um, they would uh, just listen to me kind of incessantly talk on and on and on. And every once in a while, I'd ask a question, and Ed would just sit there and keep on nodding like this. And then I'd ask it again, and he'd just sit there and keep on nodding like this. And I would wonder, what, what's going on? And Miss Elaine would say, well, honey, you know, he's hard of hearing. And I think what he would do is he saw me coming around, and he'd go, here comes that browning kid. Click, turn off the hearing aid, and I'll just sit and smile. But we did talk, and they, uh, they laughed at my shows, and Ed would take me on these adventures in his garden. And we would go back there in the garden there, and I remember this one time, we were back in there deep into his garden, and he pulled out his pocket knife, which the fact that the man carried a knife in a pocket was the coolest thing for a five-year-old kid, right? You have a knife? That's amazing. And he took it, and he cut off a piece of aloe, and he handed me the piece of aloe. He said, now, Stephen, this... This piece of aloe right here, it has magical healing powers. If you were to get a burn on your arm, you just put that aloe right on there, and it would magically soothe the burn on your arm. You know what he could have said? He could have said, now, Stephen, you take this piece of aloe right here, and you close your eyes real tight and click your heels together three times, you'll wake up on the moon. Like, he could have said it to me, and I would have believed it. Why? Because he had influence in my life. Ed and Elaine had influence on this five-year-old little boy. And you know what? They didn't go to our church. We didn't know them from church. We didn't, my parents didn't work with them. They didn't volunteer at my school. It wasn't that, that they were connected with us in any other way than they were just really good neighbors who decided to invest in the five-year-old little boy who was on the other side of the block. And you see, for you and I, we all have those kinds of opportunities for influence each and every day influence in our community, the spaces that are between work and school, the spaces that are between church and home. We have the opportunity to make an investment with people and to make an impact and an influence in our community. We've been in this great series on influence, and we've been talking about influence in the different spheres of our life. But if we're not careful, sometimes we forget this massive amount of influence that we can have in the sphere of our community. Let me just give you a quick definition of what community is for us in this room today. It is simply where you live. It's just where you live. 
It's where you live. It's where you do life. It is the ballpark. It is the favorite restaurant that you go to, the checkout line of the grocery store that you normally shop at. It's just where you do the normal pathways of life. And it's at this juncture and it's at this place that you and I can have an incredible amount of influence if we'll choose to leverage that for the cause of Jesus Christ. And throughout this series, we've given this definition of influence. It is the impact of one person on another to move them to some action. That when one person impacts another, it sets off a chain reaction that usually works better than that just did. Let's try this again one more time. It usually sets off a chain reaction that sends that influence to another, to another, to another, and to another, and on down the line. That's what influence can be like, and we can have that in the community. We all have this potential for influence. The question is, what are we going to use it for in the community? Give your Bibles today. I want you to open up your uh, Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. And as I was thinking about and praying about this message and who would be a good example for us and this whole idea of influence in the community, I talked with a few others, and the name that kept on coming up was a guy named Joseph. And why Joseph? Because you see, Joseph, he didn't have influence that was derived from his family or his schooling or his job. His influence was just the presence of God in him expanded to those that were around him wherever he lived. A little bit of background about Joseph, just in case you don't have uh, the story down or don't know about him. He was the favorite son of 12 sons. The favorite one. They knew he was the favorite one. His dad gave him all the cool stuff, including that really cool multicolored jacket that he got to wear to let him know he was the favorite. And when he was a student, he was, uh, he was a little confident. Some might even call him arrogant. I remember uh, in Scripture it says at one point he comes down uh, to, to talk with his brothers and to talk with his dad. And he says, one day you all are going to bow down before me. I mean, could you imagine that, parents? Can you imagine your student coming to the breakfast table? And then starting off the day with one day, mom and dad, one day, brother and sister, you will all bow down to my greatness in, in adoration. Like, can you imagine that? That's going to be a rough morning, right? It's like, hey, why don't you just hush up and eat your Cheerios there, Joey? You know, I mean, just calm down for just a second. And his brothers despised him because of this influence that he had with his dad and because of this uh, favor that he had. And so they made up their mind that they were gonna try and put an end to it. They wanted to kill him, but they decided because they were such good guys, they weren't gonna kill him, but they were gonna sell him for slavery and tell his dad that he had died. So you had this guy, Joseph, and we're gonna pick up the story in just a second. And you're gonna see him, he's been transported to a faraway land that he has no connection to among a group of people that he never asked to be around. And his influence is going to grow there, right there where he lived. So what makes him a good person to talk about for this whole idea of community? Because today you're going to see him as a slave. Today you're going to see him as a prisoner. You're going to see him as an accused. You're going to see him as advisor to Pharaoh and the second most powerful man in Egypt. And in each and every one of those places, no matter what community you put him in, from Potiphar's house to the palace, he always gains Influence, And there's a lot we can pull from his life to apply it to ours on this whole idea of influence, our community. So if you're ready, let's jump in here together. Genesis 39, and we'll start off in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him down from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down from there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. 
Look back at verse 2 again. It says that the Lord was with him. The presence of God was obvious for Joseph. He knew that God was with him there in this faraway place. And yet, it's not something that he kept to himself, but it's something that other people saw in his life. Because if you go down to verse 3, it says, His master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. This isn't the only time we see this. If you were to go to the next part of Joseph's story, you would find him there in the prison. And the prison keeper saw the presence of God in his life. Or if you were to see him before Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh saw it and he said, the spirit of God is within this guy, Joseph. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The question for us today is do other people see the presence of God in our lives. Here's the first point for us today. Let others see the presence of God in you. This was the greatest key to the success of Joseph and is the presence of God in his life. And likewise, it is one of our greatest keys as well. We've got to let that presence shine forth so that other people can see that, yes, we do know Jesus Christ. Yes, he has changed our life. And yes, we can even, as Michael said earlier, we can go singing around the office complex because the presence of God is within us. And it may be a little weird, but we need to allow people to see that within us. If you grew up in church, you may remember the, the old song that we used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Y'all remember that? You remember that? Then you remember the second verse? Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Come on, choir. Hide it under a bushel. I'm gonna let it shine, right? You guys remember that? You remember the whole point of that song? Yeah, the whole point was we're gonna let our light shine. Now, now I did a Google search to, to find a picture of this whole idea of putting a bushel over a candle. I must confess to you, I'm 33 years old and I found out literally this past week what a real bushel was. What I thought my entire life that a bushel was was not what it is. This, was a, this is a bushel right here. See that right there? It's got that woven wooden basket right there and he's about to put it on an open flame, which the dad in me is like, that's a fire hazard. Get that away. You're gonna burn down the house right there, right? He's about to put that on top of there. And the idea is you would never want to do that. Don't hide that light. But you want to let it shine. Here's the reality for us. When we're in the community, oftentimes we treat that as a place to retreat, to back down, to hide, to be anonymous. It's okay if not everybody knows our name. It's okay if we can be kind of that stranger neighbor kind of thing, the waving guy, but never really conversing. We choose oftentimes to be hidden in our community. But God's called us to more than that. He's called us to shine out the presence of God to those that are around us, wherever we are. Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The whole point of all of this is that when we shine and we do those good works, that is not for our glory that other people may give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so we need to let others see the presence of God in us. Let's continue on here in Joseph's story, starting in verse 4 of Genesis 39. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he attended him, and made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house over all the land, uh, over all the, that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. 
So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Twice in that passage of scripture, it says that he was a blessing to his master. That Joseph always added value to people. That God actually used him as a conduit to bless other people. That that was always his witness. That that was always what he did. How about us? Do people see and are they blessed through our lives? Are we making whoever we're with and whoever we're around better because they know us? Are we living as a blessing? Which is our second point. Let's be a blessing to others. Let's be a blessing to others. The question is often asked in blog articles and books, if the church closed its doors today, would anybody in the neighborhood miss it? I've got a little more personal question for myself as I was walking through this, maybe for us today. If I were to pack up my house and move off the street, would anybody miss me? Would my neighbors miss me? See, we have that opportunity wherever we're at. Whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's places that we shop, the pool at the YMCA, or in our seat in the stadium, we have that opportunity to be a blessing to others. And this doesn't have to be a huge thing. Jesus even said in Mark, he said that we didn't even just give something small like a cup of cold water to somebody as a blessing. It makes me think of a guy named Glenn who was in our last church. We used to serve at a church just in the greater Atlanta area. And Glenn was a part of this church, and he wanted to be a blessing to his neighbors. And so he tried to get to know them, tried to develop those relationships with them. And he and his family were walking down the street one day, and there was this one neighbor he'd not spent a whole lot of time around named Dennis. And so he decided he was going to start a conversation with this guy, Dennis. Well, Dennis, uh, in the first 30 seconds of the conversation, started like rated R cursing in front of Glenn's preschool-aged kids. So needless to say, Dennis was kind of a rough guy, right? And so Glenn decided, okay, just make a mental note here that Dennis is a guy that we need to love on and try to be a blessing to. It wasn't long before the Christmas season came, and Dennis decided, uh, or excuse me, uh, Glenn decided with his wife, Chrissy, that they were going to try and make some loaves of bread and bring it to some of their neighbors. They made five loaves of bread. And they delivered four of them, and he just really felt like God was impressing upon his heart to bring this fifth loaf of bread over to Dennis. And he kind of had this little bit of an argument with God, like, Dennis is kind of a tough guy, he's kind of a rough guy. If I walk up there with my family and bring him this little loaf of bread, that's going to be kind of awkward, a little bit a little weird. But God kind of prevailed, and so Glenn took his small children, and they walked up to Dennis, who was sitting in his garage with a drinking buddy, and he got up there, and he said, uh, Hey, Dennis. I brought you some bread. Um, it's got a, got a bow on it here. And uh, would love for you to, to come to Christmas at our church. And Dennis just kind of stared at him blankly like, what are you doing here? Why are you? Have you crossed the threshold of my garage to come and have this conversation with me? And so he's like, well, I'm just going to leave that with you. Maybe I'll see you around, okay? Turned around, walked away, and he just felt like the whole thing was a disaster. Showed up at church the next Sunday, and sure enough, Dennis was not there. So a couple of months go by and he's kind of thinking, well, I've kind of lost my opportunity with Dennis. And then one day he gets a call from his wife, Chrissy. She said, hey, Dennis just came by the house looking for you. He said, well, did you leave a number? Yeah, he left a number. He called Dennis. And he said, Dennis, hey, man, I uh, heard that you came by looking for me. And Dennis said, hey, man, I want you to know I went to your church this past week. So that's, that's great. But I mean, why, why did you come to our church, Dennis? Uh, and Dennis told him, he said, you know, when you came up the driveway with that little loaf of bread, I saw your family and the way that you guys were loving each other. 
And you gave me that little loaf of bread, and that actually meant a ton to me. I've been walking through a really hard time. And so because I had that loaf of bread, I knew that there was somebody who knew something about the goodness of life, and you told me about your church, and so I decided I was going to try it out. Can we talk about it? Within that same month, that first conversation led to Dennis giving his heart and life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and being baptized, all because of a loaf of bread and a small way to bless other people. I asked Glenn to tell me the story again, and he shot me an email, and at the end of the email, this is how he finished it. The funny thing is that God used the very thing I felt dorky about to draw Dennis to himself. I'm not going to lie. Dennis was the last guy that I thought would come to Christ on the list of five neighbors we gave bread to that year. The whole thing was a real faith builder for me. See, you never know. You never know when you bless somebody in a way that is small, in a way that is big and extravagant, but you never know when you bless somebody the impact that can make on their lives. Let's be a blessing to others just as Joseph was a blessing. Continuing on in the story here, Genesis 39. It's about to get very interesting down here in the second half of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were in the house, there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And we have here what one pastor called the original desperate housewife, right? Trying to take him out. But here's what happens. Joseph is uncompromising in his faithfulness and purity. He's uncompromising in his integrity. Why? Well, you see it here in verse eight. It says here in verse eight that he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master, has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me, except for you, because you are his wife. You see his concern there? He's concerned for his master. Guys, this is a slave. He is a slave. And he says, I am concerned. I am very concerned for my master and for him. I want to live with integrity among men. I want to be a blessing and I want to live integrity with my master. But not only that, there's a greater motivation here. Second half of verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God himself? I don't want to sin against God. I want to have integrity with God. When no one else is watching and the bed is made for us to compromise our integrity, what will we choose? Will we have integrity with God? Will we have integrity with our fellow man? Which leads us to this point that we need to have or live with integrity. This isn't the only time that we see Joseph having integrity. He had it all over the place. He had it in the prison. He had it in Potiphar's house. He had it in the palace. He had it with his brothers. He always walked with integrity. He was the same person no matter what situation you put him in. My question is, are we the same person in this room today as we are out in the community? See, if we're not that, if we're duplicitous, if we're different here than we are out there, 
that it makes people wonder about us. So think about my son, actually, um, not because he has little integrity. Uh, I love my son, but here's the reality. I've been a lifelong Florida State fan, and I tried to raise him to be a Florida State fan. But when we moved here to Alabama, somebody told us when we came across the state line that you got to declare. I was like, declare what? Are we like coming through customs or something like that? What are we talking about declaring? They said, you got to declare. You got to choose. Are you going to be for Alabama or are you going to be for Auburn? Well, I'm a lifelong Florida State fan. I don't have a dog in that fight. So I'm going to choose to be for Florida State. And I thought that I, my whole family would choose that as well. Until a few months after we had moved here, we're playing a, like a board game or something like that. I don't remember what the game was. We're playing this game, and, and, and Caleb ended up winning. And so he was real excited. He's running around the house, and he's like, yeah, I won. Yeah, this is awesome. This is so good. I'm the man. And he's like, roll tide. And I was like, what? I said, buddy, do you know what that means? He said, oh, yeah, that's about Alabama, and Alabama's all about winning, Dad. I'm like, okay, buddy. So, so what does that mean for you? He said, well, I think I'm going to be an Alabama fan, Dad. And we talked about it a little bit. I guess I can't convince you otherwise of that. So he decided he's going to be an Alabama fan. Until he went to kindergarten this year. When he went to kindergarten this year, more of his friends were Auburn fans than were Alabama fans. And so he, pretty soon he started going and coming home. And he's like, you know, Dad, for like Christmas, maybe I'd get like an Auburn shirt, maybe like an Auburn hat and that kind of thing. You know, I said, well, buddy, I thought you were an Alabama fan. He said, no, 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 that's old news. I am definitely an Auburn fan now. Now, I don't know how much this is going to stick with him, though, because the other day we're walking through a parking lot, and he's wearing his, Alabama, or his Auburn hat and his Auburn shirt, and somebody looks over at him, they're like, War Eagle. And he just looked at him, he's like, no, Auburn Tigers. I cheer for the Tigers. Auburn. I don't know what the Eagles are. I'm for the Tigers. So that's him. You can't ever, feel, you can't ever find out who is he for. Do people know who you and I are for? Do they know who we're for? Do they really get it? I mean, for the neighbor that says, I know that his driveway is empty on Sunday morning, but sometimes I watch him and I just... Listen, a prerequisite for growing influence in the kingdom is always integrity. It's always being the same person. So we need to live with integrity if we're going to have influence in the community. Now, what happened moving forward here is Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of being inappropriate. And we're going to fast forward here to Genesis 41. If you want to go ahead and turn over there, Genesis 41, and we're going to jump over to verse 15. But what happened in the midst of that time is Joseph lands in prison, falsely accused, and he is there with the prison keeper, and he gains influence again. Because again, he is letting other people see the presence of God in him. Again, he's being a blessing to people. Again, he is showing himself to be a man of integrity. And because of that, he gains influence. So much so that the prison keeper says, I don't have any concern of anything that I put under Joseph's care. He gives him responsibility. And in one instance, he has these two prisoners, high-profile prisoners that come in straight from Pharaoh. There's this baker, and there's this cupbearer. And they come in, and they have these crazy dreams, and Joseph just so happens to interpret the dreams for these two men. Now, for one of them, the baker didn't work out. He ended up being executed. For the other one, the cupbearer, he ended up going right back to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. A couple years go by, and Pharaoh has this crazy dream, and nobody can interpret it. And so the cupbearer says, you know, I met this guy back in prison, which is a terrible way to take advice. I met this guy back in prison, but he says, we need to call him up. 
We need to bring him over here because he'll be able to tell you about your dream. So they call Joseph out. They give him a shower. They give him a shave. He is there before Pharaoh. And that's where we pick it up here in Genesis 41, verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. I have, had it, I have heard it said of you that you hear a dream and you can interpret it. But watch what Joseph says. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. But God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh proceeds to tell him about the dream. He tells him about, hey, he's had this crazy dream. And Joseph goes ahead and interprets it and says, hey, we're going to have seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And if we don't do something in those seven years of plenty to store up for the famine, it's going to be bad news. So he brings a proposal about how they can make it through the famine, how they can save the nation. And this is Pharaoh's response over in verse 37 to that proposal. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? In whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Why is it that Pharaoh responds and says, God showed you this? It's because back in verse 16, Joseph said, hey, I'm not going to give you the answer. God's going to give you the answer. See, when Joseph got the platform, here's what he understood. When Joseph got the platform, he knew it wasn't his opportunity. He knew it was God's opportunity. And so he made much of God from the platform that he had been given, just like he had done in the prison, just like he had done in Potiphar's house. I'm gonna take the platform that I'm given no matter where it is in the community, and I'm gonna use it to point other people to Jesus, which is our fourth point. Use the platform that you've been given to point others to God. Use the platform that you've been given to point others to God. When people look at you on the platform that you're given in the community, do they see you or the God who empowers you? When I think about that, I think about our oldest son's, Caleb's, his first baseball coach. This guy's name was Coach T. Called him T, short for Tracy. He didn't want the five-year-old boys to make fun of him, so he said Coach T, right? So he said Coach T, and he got out there, and he was so great with these kids. And I got to watch him close up because I was the assistant coach. Let me tell you how that happened. He came up to me, first practice out of the gate. He's like, hey man, you gonna make it to most of the games? I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm planning on it. He said, you gonna make it to most of the practices? I said, well, he's gotta be driven here. So yeah, I'm, I'm planning on being here. I get an email later that night. Thank you so much for agreeing to be our assistant coach, right? That's how that worked. <laughs> and let me tell you about coaching five-year-old boys. It's difficult. It's like herding cats, except for cats have a much longer attention span, right? It's difficult coaching five-year-old boys. But Coach T was so great with these kids. I mean, he was patient with them. He was an encourager. He taught them fundamentals of the game. Over and over, he would just repeat, 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 repeat. And he taught them such good, so good that for the rest of these boys' lives, they're going to have look back and say, it was Coach T that taught me how to throw right. It was Coach T that taught me how to hit right. It was Coach T that taught me how to field a ball. They're going to look back because he was so good at what he did. And he had this incredible platform with all the parents. We all love Coach T. You see, you start wondering what motivates a guy like that. But it became clear because at every single practice, at every single game, at the end, he would call all the boys together. Everybody around me, take a knee. Remove your hats. Boys, I want to pray for you. And he would pray nearly the same prayer every single time. Oh, God, thank you for the game of baseball. And God, would you help us to glorify you in the way we play this game? 
And God, would you help every last one of these little boys here to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Oh God, would you do these things? We believe you're powerful to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. And I gotta tell you, for us that were parents on that team, we knew where he stood. And he used that platform to point other people to God. Now, you may be sitting here today and say, Steve, I, I'm not a, a T-ball coach, and I'm not planning to be a T-ball coach, right? I, I don't know that I necessarily have a defined platform for me to be a part of or to be able to launch into to point other people to God. Well, I have good news for you, that at our church, we want to help you find that platform. In fact, we made a huge investment in trying to help to start some, some different ministry teams that are in the community. You can go to shades.org slash community and you find out about different teams that you can be a part of to help give you a platform in the community. But don't make it too complicated. You may not even need us to come alongside you and help you out because all it really takes is finding a place in the community where you live and beginning to make an investment to begin to pour in, to begin to try and do something to help other people meet Jesus. And so it was just a, a few weeks ago that I was down here and we had a little decision time at the conclusion of service and I was down here. There's a sweet lady in our church named Miss Ann who came over and she said, you know, I'm just concerned for the people that live where I live, for my neighbors, that they need to know Jesus. Miss Ann lives at one of these great uh, retirement facilities here nearby the church. And she said, I want to get something started. Fast forward to today. Here's what's happened. Miss Ann's putting up flyers all around the place. We got our few seminary students to go in and to do a weekly Bible study. And they're having worship at her place where she lives every Thursday night. Because she said, you know what I want to do? I want to have influence in my community where I live. And it may not be from the job. It may not come from the school. It may not be family. It may not even be for my church, but I can still have influence right where I live. We can all have the opportunity for that. Just choose a place, invest, and then start pointing other people to Jesus. And remember the definition. That if influence is the impact of one person on another, it is then to move them to some action. What is the action we're talking about here? Our influence must always be to move people to the action of taking one step closer to Jesus Christ to take one step closer to Jesus. And for us in this room today, I want to encourage us to do that. So maybe you've been here and you've been over the course of this whole influence series and you've been thinking about school and you've been thinking about work and you've been thinking about these different spheres of influence we've been talking about. And maybe now is the time for you to go ahead and say, okay, no more messing around. This summer, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I am going to maximize my influence to help other people meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe even just in my community. But there's others of you in the room today, maybe some that are watching online, and you say, God's been influencing me, but maybe in a different way. See, maybe you've been a part of this series, and you've heard about influence, and you've heard us talk about the importance of helping other people know Jesus, but you know that God doesn't even have that influence in your own life. And see, now you have the opportunity, right now, today, to place your faith in Jesus and to meet him as Lord and Savior. To give him a space in your life and to say, God, you come in and take over and surrender your life to him. Say, Steve, that sounds super complicated. It's really not. You just come to God and you simply confess to God, you know, God, I know that I was made for a relationship with you, but I've broken that relationship. You know how we break our relationship with God? It comes through sin. 
I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all in that same boat together. We've all disobeyed God at some point. And so when you acknowledge that, I know I was made for a relationship with you, but I know that I've broken the relationship, that you then say to God, I need your help. How did God help you? How did he help me? Well, he, 2,000 years ago, came, lived a perfect life in the person of Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. If the penalty for our sin is death, Jesus died in our place on the cross. So you say, God, I believe that you did that for me. And right now, I ask for your forgiveness and I surrender my life to you. Come in, be the main and the only influencer in my life. I surrender it all to you. Can I tell you that if you're here today and if you would do that quietly, wherever you're at, or if you're watching online, you can do it right now. And just pray those things to God out of a genuine, sincere heart of faith. And I believe that God would hear you and he would save you in the genuineness of your faith. And if you do that today, I want to encourage you to take that tear off that Danny talked about earlier. And you'll notice there's some ways to respond. And the top one there is, I am committing my life to Christ. Would you let us know if you've committed your life to Christ? If you're watching online, there's an opportunity for you to respond with somebody there online with you as well. But don't go this alone. Let somebody know so we can help you on this journey that God has you on. But for all of us, we were made for influence. So today, even today, even this Memorial Day weekend, let's let others see the presence of God in us. Let's be a blessing. Let's live with integrity. And let's use our platform to point others to God and see what God does with our influence for him and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have not only saved so many of us in this room, not only had you given us a relationship with you. But then you give us the tremendous opportunity to join with you in your mission, to be out there influencing people in our workplace, at home, at church, at school, but God, also as we've seen today in the community. God, wherever we are, wherever we are, may we be people who have influence for you. And as we influence others, may the action that we push them toward be taking one step closer to you so that more people might know you and glorify you, God. Help us to shine brightly for you, Jesus. We love you, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.